So, I haven't got Otto with me on this section um, because I'm just going to give a bit of an intro. You'll be getting plenty of Otto later. Our last episode uh, was about Walsingham and we saw a lot about the fact that codes were used in espionage a lot. So he had his uh, code breaker, uh, Thomas Felipes, who um, broke the codes that uh, Mary Queen of Scots was using. And that was a key way that they broke the plot, the Babington plot that Mary was planning with some of her Catholic supporters. So we're going to run forward a few centuries and we're going to take us all the way up to the Second World War. And we're going to look at what happened at Bletchley Park, which is known as the home of the Codebreakers. So um, here we are in the grounds of Wadden Hall. Um, this is going to be, I think, our sort of part three of our espionage. Yeah, yeah? I think so. I don't know. So this is going to be mostly about... Bletchley Park and the code breaking that went on during the uh, mm -hmm, the uh, Second World War. Um, and so Otto, give us a before we launch straight into the code breaking. I think we need a bit of a background. Yeah. Um, so can you give us a bit of a just a quick intro to the Second World War? Why did it happen? Oh uh, well, and the First World War. Mm -hmm. um, At the end of the First World War, yeah. Um, Germany got a lot of land taken off it. Yep. Um, then Hitler came to power. Mm-hmm. Um, in Germany, mm -hmm. years later. Um, and it was all like, I don't like, I, I do not like this. Yep. Okay, good for accent, but yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. So then he was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to take Germany back. Mm-hmm. Um, England weren't too happy about that. Yeah. So I invaded a few countries. Um, the UK and France were like, yeah. If you go invade Poland, yeah, yeah, we gonna war you. Yep. And what did Hitler do? He invaded Poland. Oh, darn it. So Hitler invaded Poland. So we warred him. So I think, yes, officially known as we declared war. So Britain and ward, France. Ward. Ward. Declared war. No, no, we. No, that, it's a word, ward. It's ward? Yes. The hospital ward. The hospital ward. against. <laughs> to war. I war, you war, he wars. I ward, <laughs> we ward against the Germans for years. Yes. Yes, and so, uh, to begin with, at the beginning of the war, so Britain and France declared war on, Fra on Germany and not very much happened. No. They all sort of hung around and they had what they called the, the phony war. Phony war. The phony war, Smart. yeah. Well, it was like there wasn't any actual warring happening. They warred, but there was no war. So, that, yeah, they basically... They were all sort of vaguely sort of sitting around, not doing very much. Um, and then Germany decided to invade France in what was known as the Blitzkrieg. Yes. So you study, you study German. Uh, what does Blitzkrieg mean? Uh, uh, blitz. Yep. Blitz is lightning. Yep. Creek. Yep. War. Blitzkrieg. So Blitzkrieg was lightning war. Yeah. So, yeah. Sounds quite sci-fi. Yeah. Well, it probably felt quite sci-fi because, you know, all these stukas and tanks and 
just went straight over uh, Belgium and then and uh, France, um, and totally took it all over. Um, and then, sorry, there's somebody coming. We're in a car. <laughs> we're yes, we're sitting in a car, and um, the we're getting some fairly suspicious looks. Um, Yes. Outside Wadden House. Wadden Hall, yeah. Wadden Hall, which um, randomly drove up here. Yeah. Well, relatively to do with. Yes. So why... Uh, so, France was knocked out of the war. The British army was pushed into the sea at... Uh, where was it pushed into the sea? Dunkirk. Dunkirk, very good. Britain on its own, facing the might of Germany and yeah. all its allies. Um, and but Britain had some tricks. One of the tricks was that it knew about the German code machines. What were the German code machines called? Enigma. Enigma. Um, cool. So we are going to. The, most of today is going to be about Enigma and yes. how the British code breakers broke the codes that the co German code machines... No spoiler. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Spoiling. Bletchley Park is... Bletchley Park is the... Well, we can't tell anyone. Mm. Because actually nobody knew about Bletchley Park. Mm. But anyway, we do now. Bletchley Park was the place where the code breakers was, were... Code breaking. Code breaking, quite. Um, and so the British would intercept lots of German radio communication, which was coming through in Morse code, but it was all encoded. So you could get the messages, but you didn't know what they mean. It was gobbledygook. Yeah. And you didn't know what it meant. So you had to break these codes. And we are sitting in a place called Wadden Hall in the car. Yes. And Wadden Hall was where they intercepted the messages, the radio messages. So what they would do is they'd get them radio messages. They would give them to a motorcycle courier. Yes. And he would drive the same way that we're driving. Yes. Between here, at Wadden Hall... Yes. And Bletchley Park, which is where we're heading now. Yes. So, do you want to hold the microphone? Are you going to do some talking as we drive? Okay. I'll put my seatbelt on. Put your seatbelt on. I thought we were stopping. Well, we have stopped. I took my seatbelt. Well, yeah. Oh, you thought we were going to get out? Yeah. I, well, no. Because Wadden Hall is a private house, so we shouldn't really be here at all. No. Why are we saying this all over the internet? Oh, yes. <laughs> right. But fortunately, mm. I drive a electric car. So we think that we can record and drive at the same time. Um, because it would be quiet. It should be quiet. It's electric. You'll hear it. Nissan Leaf. Yeah. Branding. We're going to get money from Nissan, though. 
Do you think so? Yeah. You think it helps? Yeah. I reckon Nissan's... What Nissan needs? Chief. Whatever it's called. Advertising. Chief. Yeah, whatever. Sales like, and marketing. Nissan's, you know, top guy. Yeah. Listen to this podcast. And yeah. Like, oh, they mention our name. We yeah. Should, just give money. I reckon. If you're out there. Yeah. If you're out there, <laughs> Mr. Nissan. Yeah. If you're out there. Yeah. yeah you owe us, all right? Yeah. yeah. Big time, because we're big Nissan. Because my last car yeah. was a Nissan. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is our... And when you um, broke this car, <laughs> Nissan. Yes. No, the other one. <laughs> Which one did I break? My old Nissan. Oh, yeah. Very sad. Death to the micro. Um, so, this is the exact route, I presume, actually, I'm not sure. The pretty much exact route... Yeah. ...that... Um, the codes would have taken. So we're driving through the village of Wadden. Yes. Um, which is uh, quite near Bletchley. So what is... Tell us a bit about Bletchley, Otto. What do you know about Bletchley? Bletchley. Um, it's in Milton Keynes. Right. Um, it's... kind of town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's called Bletchley. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly nondescript. Yeah. Fairly uninteresting. It was where they, um, them code breakers were. Yeah. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, and it's Bletchley. But Bletchley yeah. Park. What was the crucial difference between Bletchley in 1939 and Bletchley today? Bletchley today, there's about 200 people. I don't know how many people are in Bletchley. There's quite a few people in Bletchley now. Yep. Then there was about seven. Yes, I think your numbers are probably slightly off, but crucially, Bletchley is now just a part of Milton Keynes. Whereas in 1939, Milton Keynes was just a teeny-weeny little village. Yes. So, for our international listeners, uh, Milton Keynes is a new city uh, that was built in the 1970s or something. Yes. Um, and I think they probably chose Bletchley Park because it's quite near London. Yes. It's on a train line to London. Yes. But it's far enough away from London yes. that it wasn't going to get bombed. Yes. Because going back to our sort of uh, World War Two background, mm-hmm. uh, the Germans um, started bombing London. Yes. And that was called the Blitz. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Lots of blitzing going on. Um, not Donner and Blitzen. Donna and Blitzen. Who are Donna and Blitzen? I don't know. No? Sorry. Rudolph the Red-Nosed uh, Reindeer's friend? Oh, yeah, Blitzen. Not Donna. Who's Donna? It's Vixen. Oh, is it Donna and Blitzen? No, it was 
Quoting from the 1823 poem by Clement C. Moore, A Visit from St. Nicholas, also known as Twas the Night Before Christmas. When, what to my wondering eyes should appear, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer, with a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Dunder and Blixen. Which must be another way of saying uh, Donner and Blitzen. Very quick aside, Donner means thunder in German, so um, it's a sort of German expletive. It's Donner and Blitzen. Thunder and lightning. It's sort of darn it. We are entering Bletchley Park. We're not entering Bletchley Park. Trying to enter Bletchley Park. Hello, morning. Right, sir, bottom of this road, you go left for your parking and yep. green doors, top of the steps, your main entrance. Excellent, okay. thank you very much. Nice yeah. Bletchley Park security guard. Yep, we got yes. past him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, this is Bletchley Park, as you can, well, as uh -huh. we can see, so we have to describe it for the... Okay. Let's have a... Is that, is that supposed to be a U-boat? It looks like a U-boat. Oh, yes. Yeah. U-boat model. There's a U-boat model. Uh, ah, that's cool. like German submarines. Ah, why, what does U-boat stand for? Um, underwater. Unterwasser. Sehr gut, mein Freund. Thank you. Yeah. Well, here we are in, so the, the, they really haven't changed Bletchley Park very much at all since the 1930s. No. I'm just going to put the handbrake on, it's going to make a lot of noise. That, okay, I think we're facing hot. What's it, whatever. 12, could be. Well, I'm pretty sure Hut 6 was, you know, the Enigma breaking hut. Hut so. Luckily, because Dad's so organised, oh. Hut 6 was built in January for dis the deciphering of Enigma messages yes. from the German Army and Air Force. Yay. That's fantastic. Very well remembered. Um, so, initially, the work was conducted with the help from perforated sheets, which are known as Zygalski sheets after the Polish codebreaker who invented them. So just, um, what was his name? Let's find out. Alan Turing. Alan Turing is someone's name. Um, but I'm just Relatively important here. Very important here. Um, Good movie, Impatient Game. Yes, yep. we're going to talk about that. Um, now Bear Studios is going to give us money. <laughs> oh gosh. Where it is. No, he get money from Bear Studios. From Bear Studios? Yeah, they're, they're creators. Amazing. Okay. What was his name? Uh, well, he, last um, episode we were talking about Walsingham <laughs> and the way that Walsingham uh, had a very clever um, code breaker. Yes. And he 
broke codes by, um, I wish I could find his name, Thomas Philippus, Phillips, Philippus, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Um, so he broke codes by um, reading the codes and seeing which were the sort of common letters and uh, they could, he, so he could work things out by, um, you know, for example, the letter E is the most common letter. You explained this, didn't you, last time? Yes. So the letter E is the most common letter in the British alphabet, in the English alphabet. Mm. So if you see lots, uh, so for example, if in your code you've made it B equals E, and you see lots of Bs, then you know that B equals E. Yes. Uh, the code breaker does, and they could work it out. Well, you don't know, but... You're having yes. an educated guess. E's the it? most common letter, but, you know, in the, in, there might be loads of A's. Yeah, there might be lots of A's. Z's. Yeah. So with a sort of application of a bit of that sort of science... You also have to guess, for this, what's the most common letter in the German Oh, good point. Language. Very good point. Because they weren't, wouldn't be much good if you were decoding... Yes. Yeah, so for example, Z, yeah. which isn't a common letter in English, yeah. is a common letter in German. Yes. Good point, well made, Otto, thank you. Um, so they would... Although so is E. In German. Yes. Yes. Yes, I think all the... And obviously there would be... It would be a bit more complicated because German has more vowels than English. I'm pretty sure, top of my head, E is in every number... Up to like between one and ten, I think only two numbers don't have the letter E in them. Really? Yeah. What's that? We fünf. Yeah. And act. Which are they? Fünf is five. Yeah. Act is eight. Very good. So, <clears throat> but so what they the, the the people that they had working mm. at um Bletchley Park were these hyper clever but um code breakers yeah. but also people who were good at crosswords and things like that yes. who were good at sort of seeing patterns in words and that kind of thing yes yes um they were cracking the codes um by brain power yes um and so that's obviously a, a very important way of cracking a code um, now, what did Enigma do then? Well, Enigma yeah. was a way of different kind of German camps or U-boats. Well, what, what was the Enigma machine, though? The Enigma machine yeah. was um, a machine yeah. which was like a typewriter. Yeah. You would type in your letters... But instead of it coming out with, you know, normal letters, yeah. it would come out as random letters. So yeah. they, but it wouldn't go... So it wouldn't be... You could tap the letter A. The yeah. first time you tap letter A, yeah. it could come out as a H. Yeah. Then it could come out as a O. Yeah. And then a J, and then N, and yeah. then an M, yeah, so and then an X, or whatever. Yeah. So they basically they had these rotors inside them. Yeah. Um, and they the, the the. So it wouldn't be you could just crack the code like that because it would be okay. We tap here. A equals S. Yeah. D equals F. Yeah. G equals H. Okay, it's easy. But you tap. Uh, you tap it once. Oh, G equals H. That's it. Yeah, but it's actually tap it again. G equals J. Yeah. K 
whatever it might be. Yes, and and it, it, in because it had three rotors, mm -hmm. it changed the letter three times. Mm -hmm. So it came out as total gobbledygook that you couldn't really crack with brain power because, um, blimey, look at that number. Whoa. So look, the standard that's, three rotor Enigma was, was... That's 159. Yep. And then... Uh, 18 zeros. Yes. So that was the standard three rotor Enigma was capable what of... What number is that? <laughs> it's like it was, 159. was capable of being set to approximately 159 to the power of 18, I think. That's, isn't that what you say in maths? Yes. But anyway, 159,000,000,000,000 possible combinations. So basically, you know, if you have a normal code where one letter is substituted for another letter, um, you can work it out with brain power. But if they are being substituted and substituted and substituted three times, that's the number you get. Yes. So you can't really work that out with brain power. <laughs> no. no. So the Enigma used rotors to scramble messages into unintelligible ciphertext. Oh, for clever you are. Yeah. So it was originally built for uh, business. Um, and then to make it even more difficult, um, they developed an Enigma machine yeah. that had four rotors. So that would have added another thousands of millions of rotors yeah. for the whole thing. Um, and that, so when they added the new the new one that locked the code breakers out of naval enigma for 10 months during 1942 because it made, made it that much more millions of combinations Ugh. yeah uh so you mentioned alan turing yes who was alan turing he was the man who cracked enigma yes how did he do it um well yeah he he developed this machine. Yeah. Which you'll be able to put in. Yeah. Say, if you could put in, say, just one word. Yeah. Out of the text. Yeah. You'd be able to. You'd be able to see what everything else was. Ah, uh, yes. Like that. Yeah. yeah. But the problem was. Yeah. Couldn't find one word. Yes. For each text. So you had to have a. What do they call it? A crib, didn't they? You had to have something that started the machine off. Yes, but they couldn't find that something. That Often they problem. couldn't, yeah. yeah. Um, but, sorry? then they realised... Yeah. What does every... What would every Nazi... Yeah. ...say... Yeah. ...when they're sending a message in the wall? What's that? Heil Hitler. Ah, what's that mean? Just praise Hitler. Yeah. You know, for Hitler. And it was what they were always supposed to be saying. Yes. Um... So, yeah, so going back to Enigma, what you needed was one Enigma machine at one end, yep. another Enigma machine at the other end, yes. and the two machines to have the same settings. Yep. So I typed up, type plain text into my machine. Yeah. My machine turns it into gobbledygook. Yeah. But the machine at the other end of the message receives the machine because it's got the same settings. Yeah, you, it doesn't receive it like a text message. No. You don't type it into this one, it comes out of another one 100 miles away. No. No, it's like you type it, there comes the telegram, you send it. Yeah. Sends, takes however long to send, they put it and they, they read it and it says um Q S F B N M. Yeah. They type it in and it's yeah. like what it was. 
Yeah, there are. We have U-boats situated here, here, and here around yeah. the English naval. Yeah. Fleet. Yeah. And so, and then that comes out at the other end mm. as something that they can read. Yeah. So you need to have you need to have these settings. You mm. need to know what the settings were. Here I quote from the Bletchley Park Home of the Codebreakers guidebook. The main task of the codebreakers was to deduce the daily Enigma settings so the bomb machine became vital. So what's the bomb machine? Um, the bomb. That was Alan Turing's machine. Yes. The one that cracks Enigma. Exactly, yeah. So it was basically one of the very first computers. The computer. Alan Turing is often called the father of computing. Yes. And at this point, we got out of the car and actually went into Bletchley Park, which has now been made into a fascinating museum, to see and hear some of the sights and sounds and experience this incredible place. We're standing outside in uh, the park of Bletchley Park. Mm -hmm. They had to keep it incredibly secret yes. because as soon as the Germans found out yeah. that they were breaking their codes, yeah. they would have set out a whole new um, code book yeah. and then they would not be able to break their codes anymore. So, even though lots of people worked here over the years, um, there was, um, it was all kept massively secret. And the first thing people had to do is sign the Official Secrets Act. Yes. <laughs> okay, so apart from dancing along, what can you see in front of us here, Ross? Um, Give there's us a, a kind of reenactment of some Bletchley Park people yeah. dancing. Yeah, so they would have been celebrating Christmas even though it was uh, in the middle of the war. Yeah. And you've got, so you've got a, a, a US Army Jeep. Um, with a sort of trailer behind it. Yep. Um, so presumably this this would have been a sort of scene that happened after the Americans had joined the war. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it looks very cool. Um, and we're standing right in front of Betsy Bark, the actual building. So they're playing some 1940s jazz music. So can you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that would have been one of the motorbike couriers. Um, so that would have been one of the motorbike couriers, like the uh, like that we were describing, yes. that would have been taking the messages uh, from uh, Wadden Hall to Bletchley Park to be decrypted. Yes. of the machines that they made to crack the codes and they've got actors to voice the people who would have been working with these machines. I'm gonna get lit up when the lights go round in London. 
Yeah. Bomber, whatever it's called, yeah. yeah. And then it had the, it had like speakers with like the mass, the noise. It was quite like, you know. Oh. Yes. So imagine working then day and night. I mean, I mean the, the woman who was recreating was sort of complaining about what it was like with all the noise and the oil. I mean, at that. least you wouldn't be able to fall asleep during work. No, no, <laughs> we quite good. Um, but yeah, that was quite cool, wasn't it? That was quite fascinating. Um, I'd quite like to see um, an actual Enigma machine. Huh? Anything? Yeah. Don't they have one somewhere? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in the main. Yeah, so those, those are in. Oh, so did, did you see what the what a silly was? Mm -hmm. help, help them pack the codes. What, what was it? It was using a... Um, it was a careless use of a predictable name or rude word by an Enigma operator. Did you see it was silly? So like hit the Yes. Or Rommel. Rommel's one. Based on that fact, in nineteen forty one a code breaker made a clever observation about one message. She thought laterally and spotted something unusual. As a result of her quick thinking, British Navy won a significant victory. You can't encrypt the message as itself. So this woman noticed there were no L's. <laughs> so that meant that the message was all L's. And so there's just some that some guy who told us to send out silly messages. Yeah. And he just sat there going L, 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 L. Yeah. So does the message have... jam up the typewriter. Yeah. You know it's a bit like when you have to sort of put something in a computer and you just bang on the keyboard. Yeah, it's like press any button to continue. Press yeah, the, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he just press L, 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 L. So Bletchley Park can now read in a significant... Oh, so Italians. Okay. Yeah, so this is about how common letters are. Even when a complex cipher such as in room was used, each letter of the alphabet would still appear even if it's not in expected frequency. Because of this, having one letter missing was suspicious. The code-breaker that Dean Toomey thought a lot about probability. He knew that some things were more likely than others. They worked out probabilities mathematically as a way to help them narrow down the number of ways in which messages might have been encrypted. How many ways do you think there are to shuffle a pack of cards? So that, how many ways are there to shuffle a pack of cards? Yeah. Should I, I tell you? I don't know how many ways are there to there are, Okay, so it's 80... Alan Turing's office is now set up as a room with all sorts of games. There are dice games and card games and so on. Um, and these are used to demonstrate probability and how numbers increase massively the more variables you have. So we looked at the probability of shuffling a deck of cards exactly the same way twice 
or the fact that if you uh, flip a coin once, you've got a 50% chance of getting the heads, but if you flip it twice, it's 25%. And these are all very important things that helped uh, the code breakers crack codes. Less than a quindicillion. Do you think that's a quindicillion, that number you just read out? Maybe. Not, I haven't even finished it as well. It's on 440 Yeah, but the problem is the, the computers themselves are a bit rubbish, aren't they? So what, we're in a room which is over oh, into a palm, it says. Touch the die to roll a six. So we're in a computer room um, with various ways of sort of games where you can work out probabilities. There's dice, there's cards, there's flipping coins. Six plus black. Yes, yeah, so rolling a six, there are six outcomes. There is a one in six chance you rolled a six. Touch the die to try with two. Oh, two sixes. Are you feeling lucky? Possible outcomes? Two. Oh, it would double the outcomes, wouldn't it? So there'd be 12. No. No, there'd be more than 12. 36. 36. Is it six times six? Yes. The chance of going two sixes is six times six. Mm -hmm. There's a one in 36 chance you rolled two sixes. Touch the die to try with three. You're getting super lucky. You got it. <laughs> Possible outcomes. So then it would be 6 times 6, 36 times 6, which would be um, 216. Yeah. Oh my god, he's good. That's pretty as well done. Why have you been 216 chance of getting triple sixes? Of three dice. 26 sided dice? Touch the die. Okay, so why is it the 26 sided dice? Because there's 26 different letters in the alphabet. Exactly. So if you're doing, so that would be like three, times 26. That's, that's the three rotors. Um. Yeah, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. There's. I don't oh, think you're going to do this one in your head. 17,576. The Enigma had three rotors that could be each set with one of 26 settings. These were 17,576 possible ways to accept the starting position of the rotors in a standard Enigma machine. Continue. Later in the war, a fourth rotor was added to the Enigma, increasing the number of combinations to 456,976. Otto found out about something that Alan Turing developed called Bambarismus. This weird name came from the fact that he named it after the town of Banbury because they developed the system there. And as it happens, Banbury is the town where Otto and his mother and his sister were all born. Banbarismus reduced the time required to break a message to just six and a half hours, helping the British Navy reroute um, supplies around the German U-boats. Yes, because that's something we haven't really talked about the the effects of um, the breaking all these codes, but that was yeah. one of the main things. So there was lots of shipping coming across from mm -hmm. America, and that was being sunk by uh, German submarines. Mm -hmm. It's quite clever, this yeah. And so they, they would have to, you know, so 
they, if they could find out from the codes where the German submarines were, um, they could move the convoy so they could make the ships go in a different direction um, and avoid the German submarines. And that was one of the most important things that the uh, code breaking did was to break the codes of the German Navy. After seeing how all the decoding worked, we saw a short film about the sinking of the German submarine, the U-559. Knowing the U-boat could contain vital intelligence which could be utilized by the Allies, Teddy Fasson, the first lieutenant on Qatar, and able seaman Colin Brazier, immediately leap into the sea and swim through a mass of fleeing U-boat men towards the U-559. They are followed by Navy Canteen Assistant Tommy Brown. Gordon Wet, Fasson and Brazier fought the submarine. Climbing down the conning tower into the flatness below. The U559 was the U boat, mm -hmm. which was bombed. Yeah. Yeah, by HMS Etard. Yeah. Yes. And then two kind of Navy members. Yeah, Fasson and Grazier. Yep. Dived into the U boat. Yeah. To get the code books. Yeah. And the Enigma machine. Yeah. They, they managed to get the code books, um, and, but they went back in to try and get the actual Enigma machine and didn't get the Enigma machine out mm. and died, and they went down with the, with the submarine, mm. um, which was obviously tragic, tragic. But mm. it was the code books that really helped them break this new Shark. So Shark was a new version of Enigma with a fourth rotor which made it even more complicated to decode stuff, and it meant that for 10 months, Fletcher Park wasn't able to, to decode anything from the Germans, uh, which obviously a bit of a problem. Even the football uh, scores. Not even the football scores, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an American film called U571, yeah. which is about Americans yeah. who did pretty much exactly that story, yeah. and it's apparently just total rubbish. Yeah. And they just reinvented it yep. and put Americans in the main main, main role <laughs> and slightly changed the name of the the, the submarine. Um, and uh, yeah, slightly frustrating. Like, imagine how intelligent you'd have to be to like, I mean, to like build that. That's the problem. Yeah. The working bomb machine. You can hear it clicking away. So, that was our visit to Bletchley Park. I hope we managed to get across what a great place it is. I have to admit that I find a lot of the technicalities about computing and mathematics quite hard to follow. But what happened at Bletchley Park played a key role in ending the war. People estimate that cracking the Enigma code meant that the war ended two years before it might have. 
Because the Allies, Britain first and then with, with the US, knew so much about what their enemies were doing, it massively helped them win the war. As we have seen in this series about espionage, knowing what your enemy is going to do gives you a really big advantage. But Bletchley Park was not just important during the war. A lot of what happened there has shaped the world that we live in today. As we said, Alan Turing is often called the father of computing because the machine he developed at Bletchley Park was a general purpose computer that could be programmed. After the war, Turing studied artificial intelligence. The Turing test is a test to see if a machine can think. Turing's theory was that if a person did not know they were talking to a machine, then this was real artificial intelligence. <laughs> and if you've ever interacted with a chatbot on the internet, then you'll know that computers haven't yet passed the Turing test. Apart from Alan Turing, the most important person to work at Bletchley Park was Gordon Welchman. Welchman was in charge of Hut 6. Even before Turing and the other codebreakers managed to crack the enigma, Welchman had set up a system of analysing all the messages that came into Bletchley Park. He examined the messages in parts. So even though they didn't know what was being said, they knew that one part of the message gave the time and date, another part gave the details about the sender and so on. This was all vital information when they did crack the code, because it was often this basic information that could be a crib, the start the bombs needed to crack the rest of the message. After the war, Welchman went to the US. Because no one knew more about cracking codes than him, he was employed to set up a secure communications for the, for the American armed forces. And this communication system, in some ways, was the beginning of the internet as we know it. So as you can imagine, with artificial intelligence and computing coming from Alan Turing, and some of the basis of the internet coming from Gordon Welchman, how important Bletchley Park is to us today. I do urge you to go and visit our website, ourhistorypodcast.com, and I'll be putting up lots of pictures and some links to films that we've watched. I think Otto mentioned um, the film about Alan Turing. I can't remember the name now, uh, but I'll put a link up to it there, and I'll put up lists of the books that we've read and so on, and probably some pictures from our visit to Bletchley Park. There's even one of Otto meeting Winston Churchill. Okay, thank you very much. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,